listening to the Resource Insider Podcast, where we get to know the best CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs in the mining industry. I'm your host, Jamie Keach. Welcome to the Resource Insider Podcast today. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah. for having us. All right. So Adam Lundin, Jack Lundin. Today, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about the Lundin Group. We're going to talk about the companies that you guys are specifically working with and running. We're going to talk about the mining, metals, and energy industry in general, and uh, probably what other, other shit I can think of up on the spot. So Perfect. I think the best way to start, you know, you guys, your family is often known as the Lundin Group in mining and uh, in the energy space as well. I think a good place to start is defining, you know, what the Lundin Group is, because it's not one individual publicly traded company. It's not a barrack. It's not a, mm-hmm. you know, first quantum. It's not something like that, but it's a collection of companies. So Correct. how does the, how does this all fit together? And where do you guys fit into the whole ecosystem? Yeah, I think uh, I can touch on the Lundin Group and then maybe Jack can touch where, where we play a role today. But I think with the Lundin Group, the, you know, the the common consumption is is that this is like a big conglomerate and Lundin Group is a listed entity. It, it, it's not. It's a it's an umbrella of uh, of you know a dozen or so companies mm. where you have a common theme with the family being the biggest shareholder and you see overlap with certain directors on on certain boards. Um, yeah, I guess what makes it a Lundin Group company is either we're large shareholders or we have a, you know a significant amount of our team in place that's that's running these companies um there's a lot of overlap as adam was saying on the board of directors and that's kind of what makes it a lundin group company but it's not an incorporated company it's a lundin group is at a as adam said an umbrella and uh, where we fit in at the moment is we we sit on several boards so i'm a director of lundin mining and i'm on the board of or I'm an advisor to the board of Jose Maria, mm-hmm. um, and I'm the CEO and president of Bluestone Resources at the moment. And Adam is chairman of Philo, and uh, he's uh, CEO, president, and director of Jose Maria, and I think Africa Energy, or sorry, Lundin mm-hmm. Energy as well, uh, as a director of Lundin Energy. And how many companies would you say make up the group? Oh, well, let's stay first with the mining section mm-hmm. and then uh, with energy and petroleum. Yeah, with, with mining. You got Lundin Mining, Jose Maria, Philo, NGX, Bluestone, Lucara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the oil side, you have Lundin Energy, Africa Energy, International Petroleum Corp. And then we have Etrion, which is a solar company, which we just sold our assets in and, and will be uh, giving cash to, to shareholders. How do, I mean, how do most of these things start? Do you guys kind of incubate them from scratch or someone you've worked with for a long time has an idea and they come to you and say, hey, guys, you know, I got an idea for exploration or an acquisition? Or do you see opportunities and say, you know, look, at that's something that looks like we want to get involved in. Let's put some money out and take it over and bring it into the into the group. I think it really varies. Like there was never a we need to have this set amount of companies. You kind of go with the opportunity and you kind of go with what's going to create the most shareholder value. For instance, like NGX Resources had the land and made three discoveries, Fila del Sol, Los Alados, and Jose Maria. Mm-hmm. And then as those deposits grew and, and could stand on their own two feet and we have success with the single asset model, it, they all got spun out and they're all on their own now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jack's experience now, he's with Bluestone 
and you know a guy with a knack for the business like John Robbins comes to our dad and says hey I'm looking at this thing in Guatemala what do you think we'll put mm-hmm. you know we'll put money into good ideas exactly I mean there's no kind of one template that we follow we just look at if there's a good project that people have struggled with or that we believe is worth going after then that's what we'll do and um, you know another example is Fortress Minerals which is now Lundin Gold that mm-hmm. was a shell company and we were able to use that shell company to purchase Fruta del Norte from Kinross uh, and so it, it, it just depends on what the asset is what the commodity is uh, what the climate of the industry is but we're kind of looking for great projects to advance is there I guess, is there a management team that sort of sits on top at, as part of the lending group? Are there people part of that only? Then their services, you know, be them financial or legal or whatever that go down? Or is no, it so everyone has a company they work with and they kind of, there's a collaboration there? Yeah, so I mean, there's no kind of lending group council, if you will. We have, as we were mentioning, board of directors that sit on multiple companies, me and Adam being a couple of them. My two other brothers, Will and Harry, they're also sitting on some boards. And then, of course, our father, Lucas, uh, and we have a couple advisors to the family as well. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, each company runs on its own, uh, and we want to maintain that autonomy so that we keep that entrepreneurial spirit alive, which allows us to make quick decisions in the field. Uh, and, you know, not every asset fits together, but when you have an asset on its own, you're able to really focus the team on bringing that project into the next phase. Mm-hmm. Well, I know this might be this conversation might be a little in the weeds for some of the people at home, but part of the reason I, I want to talk about this is because it kind of lays the groundwork for how things are structured because it's quite a unique setup for the mm-hmm. mining industry, at least, uh, and probably many other industries. You're the only multi-generational mining family that I can think of, at least mm-hmm. off the top of my head, uh, and one of the few groups that has sort of achieved this scale. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that a bit, and I'm going to start with something that is maybe relatively well-known, maybe not, that you guys have a family motto. Is that correct? A couple. There's a couple. <laughs> of them. So, so I, Okay, the one I have written down is no guts, no glory. Yeah. Is that the main one or is there a better one? That that, I'm no, no, that was uh, the title of our, our grandpa's uh, biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so that was the title. And uh, no, that one's obviously very close to us. I'd also say, you know, no pain, no gain mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. So I want to I wanna start by asking, and I have uh, Adolf Lundin some notes about his biography written, written down here, which I'll get to in a second. But how, how does that come come about? These sort of mottos, these these sayings that you guys, I guess, repeat over and over to each other. Yeah, because that's unusual. <laughs> yeah. So how how did let's talk about this one? Where did it come from? Well, I think it it comes from you know cyclical business and being at the bottom. <laughs> you're gonna have to say something uh, to keep a smile on your face when it gets tough. But also, you know, we're sometimes viewed as contrarian. But I, I see where that can come from. You know when we want to buy assets and when we can afford them and don't have to compete with, with the huge super majors, uh, it normally just happens to be at the bottom of the cycle. And so I think, you know, when you're buying Fruta del Norte off, off Kinross, and I remember, you know, the week that deal was closing, and I think on, on closing, gold drops, you know, 40 bucks. And, and you see mm-hmm. funds that wanted to, you know, participate heading for the exit. And, and the family has to, you know, put some further capital into it or you have to rework the deal. Um, 
but no guts, no glory, right? Continue with it, and now you see it come to fruition. I think you really, it's, it's just, Buffett says it best, right? With be greedy when people are fearful and, and, and fearful when people are greedy. So let me turn that around, though. Do you think that that is a mentality that your family has developed to due to working and success within the mining industry? Or do you think you've been successful within the mining industry because that's been your mentality? I definitely think that's that's the mentality. And I think, um, you know, there was a, there was a book that was commissioned uh, on Tanke Fungarumi and uh, our grandpa uh, wrote the opening passage on it. And he ended with, you know, I raised my, my kids and my grandkids to be fierce. It's a quote from Nelson Mandela, to be fierce mountain climbers. You know, when you get top of a mountain, you look around and you see other mountains and you have to go climb them too. Like just, just always keep going. Mm-hmm. What's, you know, I'm kind of talking to a few people and looking at a few things, getting ready for this interview. You know, something that sort of struck me about uh, Adolf in particular, and I mean, you mentioned his, his biography. He's got a poem in his biography. He's got If, right, by Rudyard Kipling, yeah. which if you haven't watched this at home highly or haven't read this at home, highly recommend you go check it out. It's a very sort of manly, romantic poem. And, like, it's interesting. It's the only poem I actually knew. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's probably true for a lot of guys. Yeah. Uh, but he seems to have this, like, real sense of romanticism and a sense of adventure. Yes. Uh, like, would you say that really drove him earlier in his career and sort of setting up the London group uh, as yeah. an entity and as a, as a concern? Well, for sure. I mean, and it comes back to saying you got to have guts, right? Because if you're going to be able to go out into the world and take extreme risk taking decisions um, and not have capital at the time or not have a reputation at the time that you can really build on, um, he was able to just through his charisma, through his grit, through his determination and through his vision, actually having a direction of where he wanted to go um, to craft a path that then my uncle and my dad were able to kind of look at and see, okay, this is where we're, we're currently at. We know where we want to go. And uh, it just kind of has resonated now to the third generation that me and my brothers and some of our cousins are, are working in. So mm-hmm. um, it, it does come down to a vision. Like it wasn't just kind of blind luck. It wasn't just going and going out in the world and trying to do something um, different. It was trying going to try and create value and doing that in a, in an industry that is, for not for the faint of heart right you gotta you gotta have that adventuristic instinct because you're gonna go to places where nobody else can go um you know a lot of the projects that we work on are in rural areas where it's not something like it's not a tourist destination so absolutely that's that's right what do you think brought him into the mining industry to begin with was his passion for for just natural resources yeah like his mom uh uh, we call her far more, but uh, or we did. She she always wanted her kids to be lawyers or doctors, and and what he saw was you know natural resources was essential for mankind. And okay, if the population's growing, we're going to require more of it, and and it's super exciting. Brings him, and brought him to great places early on in his career. So he mm-hmm. fell in love with it quite early. And I think to to complement that as well, I think it was the opportunity that you do go to places where you know there's quite a lot of poverty and you can actually make an impact and a serious significant impact and benefit a lot of people's lives um, more so than than many other industries. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to places where that other people simply don't tend to venture. 
do you guys have any examples of that sort of early on in either from from lucas or adolf when they were moving into an area of the world that you know other companies had tried or failed or not even attempted to get into yeah it's very very early and it was you know first with uh in going into argentina and uh alambrera went up for we had a company international musto and we saw argentina opening up with president menem in, in power and then you saw um Baja de Alambrera come up for, for auction and, and we went and, and we were able to to secure to secure it and then moving from there and saying, okay, what's the largest undeveloped copper deposit in the world and where is it? And it's okay in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And uh, you know, Anglo and, and big companies had had this asset before and, and essentially walked away. Uh, so again, you know, no one was doing mining business in Argentina at the time, not many people were doing stuff in the DRC, mm-hmm. but that, that didn't deter him at all. He wanted to go where the big projects were. So, I mean, those big companies off, you know, they have a very different risk profile than yeah. smaller entrepreneurial companies, but they're not run by stupid people. There's a lot of capable, well-financed, experienced people there. You know, why do you think you guys have been able to see success in, in challenging parts of the world, be them Argentina or Sudan or the uh, DRC or wherever else that so many other groups have not been able to see success? Mm. I think it's because we don't take a, you know, a cookie cutter approach to wherever we're entering, whatever jurisdiction we're going into. If we see a project that has potential, we'll go in and we'll understand, okay, what are the strengths and weaknesses? What are the challenges or the concerns of the communities? And from there, we work to put a plan in place so that we can create a a strong partnership and one that's long lasting. So Mm -hmm. it's a long lasting mentality, understanding that any given project is different. And when you enter a new jurisdiction, it's going to, you, you can't take, you take some key lessons learned, but you also have to take a brand new perspective and, and work to understand how can this be optimized? How can you maximize the benefits? And from there, you look at deploying the right team fit for the job to advance. You know, there's not many people, companies, whatever, in the mining space that actually do take a particularly long-term perspective perspective, right? There's not many people that think beyond the current cycle that they're in Mm -hmm. uh, and how to, especially here in Vancouver, maybe how to get (laughs) off your stock before, (laughs) before that cycle ends. You know, how have you, how have you developed that sort of mentality of, you know, not just thinking multiple cycles, but potentially multiple generations? Um, Well, I mean, Adam may have a different opinion, but I think it's, it's kind of, the approach where we do cast the net quite wide. I mean, we can enter different areas at simultaneously and maybe we take a smaller position and, and watch that grow in a different company. And so we, we plant the seeds in, in multiple areas. And, and over time, you know, as things start to pick up or momentum builds on one of them, then we can focus more attention and continue to, to grow and expand that. Um, but you never, we, we never really look at something and go, okay, in six months, I want to double my money and get out. It's more like, okay, we're setting the foundation for the long term, and we know that this is gonna, you know, there's gonna be an incubation period. It could take some time. Let's make sure we foster that and let that grow. But we also can have, you know, a team of and resources deployed in another area. So you're kind of watching multiple things grow at the same time, and then over time, you're gonna, re- it, you'll be required to have more attention, uh, and then you can make sure you're growing that team so it's fit for purpose. Hmm. Okay. All right. So. I want to take a step back and think. So 
when you guys start, when the London Group started, Adolf had a fund. Is that right? That he was sort of investing and buying significant portions of companies? Yep. And then Lucas, your father, started, founded, and operated multiple exploration companies, right? And was mm-hmm. involved in multiple discoveries. Today, you know, you're known for primarily, I guess, buying uh, sort of development stage assets, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the sweet spot of what you guys are focused on today? Is it development? Is it operators? You know, what, and I know you guys do a lot of different stuff, but like, what is the focus of the Lundin Group right now in terms of growing, in terms of acquiring new things? I know it's like, it's cliche, but it's it's always just maximizing shareholder value. And, and we're always aligned with shareholders trying to trying to be the biggest one. And it's 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 doing equity raises and, and everyone can participate. There's no sweetheart deals for, for the family. Um, I'd like our sweet spot is, it depends. It's kind of, you know, there's always a, a right person for the job, and uh, it's tough to say where our sweet spot is. Well, I think I think it to to just c- simplify it completely. We we go after world class projects. We go mm-hmm. after projects that will be able to generate value in any cycle. We're in a cyclical business. We have commodity prices that go through the floor or through the roof, and understanding if we've got a project that okay maybe it's in operations but we see there's you know upside potential to expand that resource or there's upside potential to optimize how the operation is going Mm -hmm. then okay let's go after it and let's let's put a team so recently i mean we've had success in taking on projects that can't get past study phase um, and then we take it through study phase into development and into operations Um, and through that period Maybe there's an opportunity to to merge or be bought out, um, depending on what the climate is. But again, it's centered on the asset. And if you focus on that, then you can kind of, you don't get too caught up in in the other outside noise. So would Fruta del Norte be an excellent example of that, would you say? Yeah, I mean, Fruta for sure would be, uh, you know, our most recent example of how we were able to look at a project, see the true value understand that there was challenges in a country, uh, you know, both political and, and local, and go in and study what needs to be um, worked out in order to advance. So for sure. Yeah, I mean, you guys were in a great position um, in a bear market, which felt like it stretched on for many lifetimes yeah. there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being well established, having capital to go out and to buy up assets that were out of the money, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Today, I'm guessing that's not so easy, right? That assets are seeing much higher value. There's more competition to them. You know, yeah. miners in general have easier access to capital. What do you think is the is the sort of the best things to focus on at a time like this in a bull market and, you know, hopefully just the early stages of a bull market? Is it putting your head down? Is it just focusing on the assets you have and making sure they're operating smoothly and, you know, optimizing the value there is this is it time to focus on grassroots exploration like rick rule says you know we're going to enter the first grassroots exploration market that he's seen in something like 20 years how do you guys view it i think it's different for for each commodity but definitely on the copper space i think it's the unbelievable time to to build Mm. and it is before the big companies are are mandated to build. You know, there's not many engineering firms that can can handle big projects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's perfect time to be building a copper project, and then also on the exploration side as well. Not there hasn't been a lot of exploration done in the base metal side, so it's good to continue exploring. I think with the gold, um, you know, building Fruta del Norte at the right time was 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 great. 
I think you can still see some M&A in the gold space, but again, also uh, a, a good time to build. I think if you're going out on, on copper and you're trying to buy producing assets, it's not the best dollars. idea right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> what, another focus for sure, and, and to, to kind of complement what Adam's saying is, we, we position ourselves during the, the bear market for when we're in a bull market, right? If we're in a bull market, like rather than recklessly spending to try and just add non-meaningful ounces or tons, um, we look at tightening up our, our operating costs and making sure we're getting our operations performance because we know that eventually there will be a bear market and if we remain disciplined, then we'll have good financials, good balance sheets, and we'll be able to look at making more acquisitions. And right now, I mean, we're in a space where gold price is high, copper price is going through the roof. Yes, there's been a little bit of a lull here, the summertime sadness, I guess, but um, you know, we're we're positioning ourselves to to uh, you know capitalize on this super cycle that we're entering. All right, I'm like, I don't think I can let that pass. Super cycle. Why do you think we're entering a super cycle? Well, we've been in a long-term depressed market. I mean, commodity prices have been hit hard for a long time. And then, of course, no doubt the pandemic has, has changed mm -hmm. a lot of things and changed a lot of fundamentals. But, you know, we are printing a lot of money all around the world, and that money has to go somewhere. And one, there's this, um, you know, greenification. There's focus on changing, you know, oil to become, or copper to become the new oil, um, infrastructure spending, and then a lot of uncertainty around the world that helps precious metals uh, and gold particularly. And um, I know that China is trying to focus on, you know, keeping uh, a lid on these commodity prices and it's probably a good thing. You don't want to see yeah. commodities just shoot through the roof because then it just sends everything out of whack. But there's just a lot of indication that we're going to be entering a, a long-term bull market for commodities. You know, a lot of the narrative that I hear um, is sort of increased nationalization around the world, uh, political unrest, uh, sort of moves towards the left. We're seeing a bit of that throughout Latin America right now. There's a lot of different countries, Peru, um, Chile, Chile um, Colombia, are all experiencing uh, unrest at the moment. Has that made you rethink uh, where you guys want to focus or are refocusing on assets in developing nations like Canada or the United States or Australia? Or do you still have this sort of appetite for the developing world sort of frontier jurisdictions? I think again, like I think Jack alluded to it, but it's, it's wherever we see potential for tier one deposits on the expiration side or, yeah. or potential to, to acquire tier one deposits. I think you go there and and you get a sense of, you know, if you'd like to deposit or, or see the potential, you got to sit down with the host nation and. And if they want to do it too, because it's always a partnership, mm -hmm. th then you have no problem uh, moving forward. I think in North America or, or Australia, um, there's, there'll be bigger competition. Mm -hmm. All right. On that note, let's talk about your day jobs. Who, who wants to start? Um, yeah, no. Uh, you want to go for it, Jack? Or you want go, go for it. Yeah, yeah, no. Happy to start. So. So the day job, I'm uh, president CEO of, of Jose Maria Resources. Mm -hmm. uh, we're developing one of the only uh, grass field copper projects out there. You know, I think the other one is Quebeco, which Anglo-American is pushing forward in, in Peru. Obviously, you have uh, TAC with QB2, which is an expansion in Chile. But, you know, this is why, you know, we feel like we're entering a super cycle. Obviously, on the demand side in copper, if, if these politicians really want 
to have no cars in in the UK by no uh, combustion engines in in the UK by 2030. It's going to require a huge build out of the grid, mm-hmm. and there's just not enough supply out there, or enough supply to come online fast enough for it to send prices higher from where we are today. So Jose Maria, it's a, it's a huge project in in Argentina. Uh, it's 6.7 billion pounds of copper, 7 million ounces of gold, and 31 million ounces of silver. So it's it's a large production profile, and uh, we submitted our EIA in, in February, and uh, we're looking to get that that approved February 2022, um, and then you know want to start construction in the middle of next year uh, on the backs of that receiving that permit. Okay, so that's Jose Maria, but not so far away is Philo Mining, where you are chairman, right? And you yeah. guys recently had some pretty good results come out on that one. Yeah, feels, and I think it's good, you know, we talk about timelines and, and how long it, yeah. it takes, right? After we sold Argentina Just Gold. Take a step back, because yeah. these were all part of one company. You mentioned yeah. that at the beginning. What yeah. was the name of that one? NGX Resources. NGX, and so they've both been spun out as the standalone assets, right? Yeah. So why use that standalone asset model as opposed to keeping them in NGX? I think, uh, and a good one is NGX yeah. was named uh, No Guts, No Glory Exploration. There we go. <laughs> so so that, that was the one. And, and uh, we've been in Argentina for, for some 30 years now. And, and mm-hmm. we talked about uh, Baja de Alambrera. After that, we went and made the discovery of uh, Valadero, mm-hmm. which uh, we had to fend off a hostile from Barrick and then did a friendly deal with Homestake. And then with that geologist, you say, yeah, let's obviously let's, let's do this again. So we staked that big land package, uh, 99, 2000. When that when that was staked so here we are 21 21 years later yeah. um the success at philo uh is unbelievable you know we're always able to put tons together in this region uh and and find a lot of gold a lot of copper and a lot of silver what recently just happened at, at philo was we, we hit significant grade we hit uh you know you had some minerals there of 10 percent copper equivalent and so now we got to continue to drill it out and in, in the system just continues to grow. We have a lot of, you know, again, with that no guts, no glory, it's not timid step outs. We have waiting on pending assays, pending on, on hole 51, which is a kilometer and a half step out from, from the known resource. And so definitely a big program swing for the fences. Now winterizing the camp as we speak and want to come in, we'll probably just do some more focus around 41. But again, you still want to keep that mentality to, to find the, the limits of the system. So we're we're super excited. You know, we never thought we'd hit, uh, you know, 10k Fungarumi type grades in in the Andes. We thought some there was going to be something there that put the system there, and, and we know it's a, it's a huge strike. Yeah. Um, and normally maybe those things they're not always telescoped. So maybe you have your oxide and, and your porphyry is is way way too deep down. You're never going to get to it. But with it being telescoped, you, you're seeing that 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 sulfides porphyry is, is directly underneath. So what does that mean when it's telescoped? You have the porphyry come up, yeah. and there's an oxide component over top of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and normally it, it pushed it up to surface, yeah. and maybe that thing that pushed up to surface is, is way lower down, and you're never going to find it. I see, and so yeah. there can be a separation between the two. or The, the elusive yeah. feeder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got one. Right? <laughs> and so to be able to come in and hit it, yeah. and we hit it this year, and uh, super exciting. Okay, so most people watching this are not geologists. They're yeah. not mining engineers. Let's put some sort of broad strokes around what this actually means, right? So give us a, a, an idea of the scale of this now in terms of understanding that this is speculative at this point, but like what, you know, what, given these new results, what are you hoping to find there? What is the potential that exists there now? What are your guys on the ground saying? 
like we've, we've got a lot of expertise, you know, come in and, and, and take a look at the project and getting different people's views of it. And, you know, you talk to the guys who used to work at Freeport, you've talked to guys who, who used to work at Rio or maybe, you know, Ivanhoe. And, and so mm-hmm. what we're seeing is, is parallels on the size of the system to, to Olitogo or, or maybe even, even Grassberg. And, uh, and, and that's our view. We think we're at that size of system. We think, you know, it's, it's one of the best discoveries in the last 15 years. Uh, again, you know, that whole 41 ended, which was, you know, hitting the feeder, ended in, in 1.2% pure copper. And so we still have, have never came out of mineralization. And what depth is that at? That was at 1,068 meters. Jesus. How much does it cost to sink one of those drill holes? Those drill holes is, you can, you're getting up there. I mean, we look at our our cost is, is all in cost, mm-hmm. you know, GNA camp catering. And, and so that all in is, is you're looking, you know, 750 grand. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. These are, yeah, these are potentially multi-billion dollar value assets, right? Yeah. What are, what's Philo valued at now? Uh, I think our market caps around a billion Canadian. Billion Canadian. Yeah. Okay. So, trying to give you a layup yeah. here so there's no. still lots of <laughs> there's no, lots of upside like for, for me potential investors here it's important that we do a good job and get the story out there so we get the, the yeah, recognition yeah. and the story gets the recognition and you see that you should have share price appreciation i think jamie beck's doing a, a phenomenal job getting getting the story out there but uh we've got a long way to go with, yeah. with where this one's going to end you know it's one of it's very clear what to do next continue to drill and and, and drill a lot and uh no, it's just going to continue to grow. You guys did a financing consecutive of this discovery, right? No. You didn't? No. So you don't you, have to. You're all cashed up and we, able to continue exploration? For what we want to do, you know, we have assays pending. Yeah. Which, um, And so I'm, we're super excited on that. And then we're winterizing the camp and we can get back up there and start drilling again in August. And then, you know, Jamie and, and Bob Carmichael, who, who leads the exploration efforts, is, is talking about wrapping a resource around the sulfites. And so we've been test drilling sulfites for the last three years and, and never did a resource update on that sulfite potential. potential. So I think we're funded to do all these things and, and it's gonna be super exciting just to mm. see where that sulfide resource comes out. I think uh, it's definitely going to blow the socks off. Uh, and you're gonna be able to come back to the market with a much kind of clearer idea of what's mm. there and then Take it from yeah. there, and I guess. I, and again, you're just—it's going to be your initial resource, and <laughs> and on on the sulfides. And if you're like hitting on these big step outs, you're going to say gonna extend laterally yeah. and vertically. It's a monster. So. Is there anything comparable to this right now in the exploration? I mean, maybe maybe Warinza. Uh, yeah, no, they're it's about the only one I can yeah, think yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I saw Dan Dan Earls on the show. I yeah, know they're doing a phenomenal job as well, yeah. and, and and that's exciting. And again, drilling deep and starting at surface. Uh, so that's a very fun story to watch as well, for sure. Well, that's about it. I can't think of many sort of copper um, discovery stories. Soul Gold did a good job as well. Yeah, of course. Um, no, no, there's there's not a lot, and it's interesting, right? That's why, you know, as we make, as we thought about making a shift more focusing on, on copper, and it started a while back. It it started, you know, that view was was firming up as we're drilling Philo. No one wants to participate. Not many people wanted to participate in the equity raises alongside mm-hmm. us. The family ownership in Fila was was around twenty percent. Today it's closer to forty, and that's just purely because we were writing the bulks of the checks when no one wanted to be exploring, and that that helps. You know, for my belief that we're getting into a, a very good bull cycle, because why is Philo 
having one of the biggest drill programs in, in South America when it's a, it's a little junior company, shouldn't, shouldn't the bigger companies be exploring, mm. but everyone was tightening the belt. No yeah. guts, no glory. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk gold. All right. Yeah. So I'm uh, currently CEO, president of Bluestone Resources. So we have a flagship project located in southern Guatemala, the Cerro yeah. Blanco Gold and Silver Project. And I joined that company in January 2020. Prior to that, I was working for Lundin Gold on the development of Fruta del Norte. And uh, right now, I mean, we've got a really exciting development because the project, which was previously contemplated as uh, you know, one million ounce underground, you know, high grade, but, uh, you know, good margin, smaller underground project with the success that we've had in drilling and with the team that we brought in last year to advance with engineering, um, we, we do see this as a bigger scale project. So we've decided mm -hmm. to pivot and, um, you know, we've made that strategic decision to go with a surface mining operation, which means we're going from a 1 million, 1.4 million ounce gold resource to a 3 million ounce gold resource and a 13 million ounce silver resource. Um, mm. So with, with just changing our interpretation, we've tripled the value of the project. Um, and now we're looking at a project that's one, much more economically robust, but two, much less technically challenging. So we're right. able to focus on training the local workforce, um, and it's because it's a bigger scale operation, it's going to be a longer mine life. So, um, you know, ev everybody's very excited about the, the pivot that we've been, we've decided to make. So we spoke about this time last year, uh, That's when right. you were relatively new to, to Bluestone. Yeah. And at that point, it was planned to be an underground operation. That's right. And... If I remember correctly, sort of one of the major criticisms that Bluestone had gotten is that, you know, mining at depths in Guatemala, it's hot as hell, it's wet, it's it's hard to get things done down there. This kind of eliminates that problem then. Yeah, I mean, you're still you're still dealing with with water inflows, but not for the first three years of the mine life, because there is existing underground workings um, and about 50 percent of the resource resides above those underground workings, which means in your first two to three years of mining, you're above the water table and you're essentially dealing with a dewatered uh, a pit. Mm. Um, and so for us, I mean, really it was a no-brainer from a technical and economic standpoint. The big thing was to go in and, and understand if this was a project that Guatemala wanted. Um, and so I've met with various stakeholders, um, the president and his and his ministers, and you know introduced the brand behind Bluestone Resources and the focus that we have on making sure we do this as a partnership rather than just coming in and looking at you know making money for the international mining company. But this will be done with as as we've talked about long term long term mentality. Um, yeah. How do you do that? How how do you both in reality, sort of make the host country a partner and also ensure that they see it that way and feel that way as well, too. Is it, a, is it about sort of royalties and tax issues? Is it about jobs? Like what, what are the steps you guys take to really sort of forge those relationships so well? It's, it's coming in and presenting our approach and trying to be transparent and, and really, again, talking to, to local national stakeholders about how we envision this becoming... Uh, you know, a long-lasting operation and going in and, and moving our team down there, spending time, boots on the ground, establishing the relationships, and again, long-term approach 
talking about what is needed to, to make this this a reality. And once you do that, and um, you know, when we come and we put our name behind it, then I think that resonates. And, mm. and from there, uh, the focus is to ensure we're employing as many locals as we can, um, because at the end of the day, we want this to be ran by, uh, you know, predominantly Guatemalan workforce. Mm. Um, and then if we can open that up, we have the opportunity to change the perception of mining in Guatemala. It has a troubled history and we know about that. We've studied that. But if we do this the right way, there's a lot of prospectivity in Guatemala and a lot of opportunities to, to continue uh, making success in that country. Okay. Was there ever a chance where you guys thought, or a time when you guys thought, you know, maybe I should be doing something else besides mining. Maybe I should be a doctor or skateboarder. <laughs> um, Did that ever come up? A bit. Maybe when we were young, you have silly ambitions. But I, I think always like seeing uh, our, our dad and grandfather doing it um, and enjoying it so much. It was, okay, I'm going to be want to be doing this as well. Yeah. You know, there's a, a story, I think it's in um, Adolf's book, about him sitting down your father and your uncle yeah. and saying, well, one of you is going to be a mining engineer. The other one's going to be an oil and gas engineer. You've got half an hour to choose. Did that happen? I think it was, again, when my grandpa started it, you know, he was going to need people he could trust. Yeah. And so he needed his sons to come into it, um, into the business at very early age, you know, for us and what makes the group is the people in the group. And so for us coming out of school, you know, our dad didn't need us. Uh, he had great people. <laughs> he had great people around, yeah, yeah. and so we had to to go to improve ourselves. And knowing that we've always, you know, wanted to grow up and add value to to the group. Uh, me and Jack took took different paths, but now, you know, we're CEO of of, uh, of companies in the group, and always always had that passion. So it, it was different for us. But uh, again, he, yeah. he they my grandpa needed uh, my dad and Ian. Uh, very very early on and where for us is okay you know the best person has to get the job uh, and so let, let's let's prove it that, that we can add value so how did you guys get your start within the group or maybe within the industry in general because Adam you're from a, a financial background Jack you're an engineer is that right so how did it how did it start out for both of you always uh, summer jobs yeah and and so we would always do you know never allowed to to sit around that was never going to be an option for us in the mm -hmm. in, in the summertime so our dad would, would send us to various ventures and and it was it was good when you got there you know it's all oh, like here's the boss's kid like this guy's gonna be a wimp you know and so when you get there you know you have to earn your colleagues respect and by doing that you're gonna have to to try and outwork everybody and and then they'll come around to you so it's very good lessons uh, on those summer jobs and then just the people in 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 the business and we're, we're great and, and normally it's a remote place so you took you somewhere new in the world and then uh yeah it's it just a lot of good people in, in the space and and so it just reaffirmed uh, this is what we want to be doing similar for you yeah i mean i was following the same trend i was being sent away to different places around the world uh, for summer jobs and getting that exposure you know mostly it would be uh, exploration boulder sampling prospecting things like that so you're kind of learning the first phase of what then goes into exploration and then you know building mines and operations yeah. but it was always kind of those grassroots exploration stuff that we'd be uh you know going to to work on and then um, you know, it, it, it's not for everybody, but I think because no. you get so 
so many stories that come out of it and uh, such a good experience. And we, we learned kind of quite a lot of life, life lessons at a young age. Um, and then, of course, you know, me and my brothers were quite competitive and always wanting to outwork each other. So, um, you know, if, if somebody's going away one summer, then you better believe that the other one's going to go away the next summer and try yeah. to do the same, if not more. Man, nothing like uh, spending a few months cutting core uh, in a core shack to make you want to move up in the world, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> this That's is my right. experience anyways. Yeah, yeah. Cleaning rocks does get tiring. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... We actually only have half of you here right now. You have yep. two other brothers, right? Yep. And they're both in mining natural resources as well? Our older brother, uh, Harry, is running a, a fund, Broma Asset Management, in, in Toronto, mm -hmm. and obviously loves natural resources, natural resource focused fund. Uh, and then our, our youngest brother, uh, William, is chief operating officer of uh, International Petroleum Corp. Right. And he's based in Geneva now. He was in uh, Alberta for. So what made you guys want to do mining over oil and gas? I think it was never, again, it was, you know, with our grandpa telling our, our dad and uncle, like one mining, one oil. For us, it was excited to get into the business mm -hmm. and where, where could we add value? We know we wanted to be in the natural resources. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. I don't, were you always wanted to be in gold? For me, it was just where, where could we add value and, 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 that, and, and go where the opportunity is. And that opportunity led me to, to first being CEO of Philo. And, uh, and, and that was it. When I was in, in finance, I was, I was probably doing more oil. Yeah. yeah. I started actually working on the oil side. So I spent two years working with Lundin Petroleum, which is now Lundin Energy in Norway. Okay. Um, and then I went and did my master's in, uh, at the University of Arizona. And at that time... Uh, we were we were looking at this acquisition, which was Fruta del Norte. So I followed that closely while I was finishing my master's. And uh, again, just timing and opportunity to go work there. That was a no brainer. Um, so I think we, we've got passion for the sector, um, the natural resource sector, oil, gas, uh, precious metals, base metals. It just depends on uh, kind of, again, project and time. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a perfect segue. Did I read that your family recently endowed a mining school at the University of Arizona. Yes, yeah, so we're actually working to put together a school of mines at the University of Arizona. So our oldest brother Harry went there for his undergrad. I did my master's mm -hmm. there. Um, we, you know, we've got quite a lot of history in Arizona, and that university itself is in the perfect place for a school of mining and mm -hmm. mineral resources. Well, that's where... David Lowell has put a lot of money as well, right, into the geology program. There, that, that, that's correct, the geology yeah. and the mining program. Um, so there, there's a Lowell Institute of Mineral Resources, yeah. which uh, I'm, I'm on the board of. And we decided about three years ago that we wanted to pursue a school of mining and mineral resources. And uh, it gained a lot of momentum. And just uh, two weeks ago now, or it might have even been as early as last week, we were able to get approval from the Board of Regents to move this actually this this concept forward um, where all of the mining programs they're not going to be in their own department they're going to well they are but they're going to reside under a, a school so kind of like colorado school of mines but we're, mm. we're trying to 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 create an interdisciplinary mining education program um, that will then also incorporate things like esg focuses but 
you know, really big, what I'm passionate about is using um, advanced technology, so artificial intelligence um, and machine learning mm -hmm. and automation in the mining sector. And Arizona is, is a hub for that in the U.S. Um, so. so will the students going through there, will they be engineering students that go through it or will it be both engineering yeah. students, geology yeah. students? So there's there's mining law, there's geology, there's mm. engineering. Um, and then, you know, you have courses that you can take if you're focused on communications, for instance, or if you're uh, in electrical engineering or whatever kind of discipline that you're focused on, you can go to the school to understand a little bit more about the resource sector. The goal is to create awareness yeah, in yeah. mining. And uh, I mean, that's that's one way to do it through education. Well, it's an interesting way to do it. Like I went to the Lausanne School of Engineering at the University of Toronto, mm. and uh, it, was, it was kind of founded with a similar idea to, to provide mining students with geology business finance backgrounds and and you know we were talking before we started about some of our mutual friends mm -hmm. uh, that went there with me including dan earl who you just mentioned was a few years ahead of me and i've noticed that my classmates have had a tremendous head start in terms of leadership roles in the space compared to a lot of other universities and i think because we were really heavily steeped in finance and business being in toronto having a lot of professors that worked at banks or major mm -hmm. companies. You know, I think our one of our professors was the head of um, resource estimates for Barrick, for example. Okay. And Amazing. being able to bring all that together, uh, you know, I, I, th I feel like I walked out with a much more fulsome view of how the industry worked as opposed to, you know, just how to dig a hole in the ground, well, right? Yeah, and you're not you're not going to learn what you need to from just studying books. You got to get that experience. You got to be able to kind of associate what you're studying to real life examples. Yeah. And so for you to have professors that were working in the industry, you know, that that is exactly what we need because otherwise you're it's all conceptual and you're not getting that experience. So, you know, I'm a big believer of, of co-op programs so that students can go and get the experience like my brothers and I were fortunate enough to get by, you know, just of course, being, yeah. you know, in this family business, getting to go out into the field. But this is going to hopefully facilitate more of that so students can actually go and find jobs right out of college. Yeah, I think it's extremely poorly uh, communicated how exciting of an industry mining can be, you know, and how, right. how broad it can be, right? Like it's not, you're not necessarily sitting at the end of a jack leg drilling holes in an underground hole, right? There's ESG professionals, communication professionals, there's even newsletter writers and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's, it's such a broad range of what you can do, all the way from sort of the highest levels of finance down mm -hmm. to, you know, building construction, working on the ground. And I don't think people understand that, especially somewhere like Canada, where it makes up such a huge portion of our or economy and finance industry. No, it, it's extremely complex mining. You yeah. need all disciplines. And it, it just simply isn't understood that to be that um, one of the you know as we were creating this school we did surveys to see where the students what they thought about mining education and, and my my thinking was that they were gonna oh it's a dirty business uh, you know it's not it's not good it's not good for the environment but they just simply didn't know what it was they didn't, yeah that was the majority just didn't really know so the industry has to do better at creating that awareness because once people understand hey it's actually pretty cool you don't have to be a crazy adventurer liking to work underground you can be in HR and you can focus yeah. on you know finding people of all types of disciplines right so although i was kind of hammering on it in the beginning of this podcast about sort of a lot of the adventurous elements of, of you know in your family in the industry in general and i mean i'd never in high school up until my last year of high school i'd never even heard of mining as a profession 
And then my guidance counselor said he had a friend who was a geologist that like just worked out in the jungles of Brazil, uh, you know, four months a year. And I thought, you know, that sounds probably better than a real job. So I'm going to try to go do something like that. But would you say you guys still embody some of that adventurous elements of maybe Adolf and your dad? Jack, I know you've broken at least one themer, if I'm <laughs> correct on that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Taking unnecessary risks, is that true? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, Adam and I, we both race dirt bikes. We both like to kind of go on adventures and, and do fun things. I mean, this, just this last weekend, we, me and Finley were hiking a mountain up uh, on the coast here and got into some snowy conditions, but uh, that didn't deter us. We just kept going. So I think, you know, we got a little bit of the, the crazy gene for sure. And um, I think it comes with the territory. We, we like to take risks and go and, and, and see different things and do different things. And I think that helps um, when we look at uh, decisions that we need to make in the business. Yeah. Is there anywhere, be it commodities or jurisdictions that the group hasn't gone yet, that as you guys sort of take bigger and bigger leadership roles, you'd like to see it move. It can be in a, yeah, in a commodity you haven't hit in a part of the world. Anything like that that you can see growth into? I think we have to have to be adaptive for sure and, and, and be open-minded if something does come up. And uh, But no, I'm super happy with, with what we're doing. But, but that being said, uh, yeah, now you just have to stay adaptive. Mm -hmm. And you see people not wanting to, to invest in oil as much. I think we're well positioned with 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 copper. Um, I think, yeah, be open. That is a great segue to my next question, because you guys are one of the few companies or groups, I guess, that does both oil, energy and mining. Mm. I, I can't think of many other others that have a strong foothold in both worlds. And, you know, We've talked a lot on this podcast. No doubt you guys have had this discussion internally many times. There's a lot of things changing in the world. There's the whole energy revolution and green energy and a, you know, a move away from fossil fuels. And there's a lot of talk about copper and battery metals and energy metals picking up the slack and the value to fill that or that place. I mean, Dan Earl, as you said, goes on here the other week talking about how he sees copper going to six plus dollars and, and filling so much of that role. We've had other people talk about how they see these battery metals someday being valued on the scale that energy, you know, oil and gas mm -hmm. typically is. Being at the sort of intersection of both those worlds, are you seeing any of this happening? How are, how are you positioning to take advantage of it? Or you know, what's the plan going forward? Yeah, we see, you, you see it with, with people want to move away from oil but obviously mm -hmm. the you know the the cheaper oil got during the the, the crisis the more people used it you saw you saw demand increase and mm -hmm. in, in, and also you see less expiration and in, in oil performing very well um yeah of course there'll be a transition but there's going to be a huge tail uh, uh, to that transition where oil is going to be extremely important i think it's important to to focus on uh on, on your your carbon offtakes and, and try and be as carbon neutral as possible uh, Lundin Energy uh, sold the first, or I guess we're up to three now, certified uh, carbon neutral cargos. And so uh, I think it's important if you're doing the ESG right, you're going to have a, a, a good a good time in oil going forward. But uh, copper, yeah, everyone wants it and, and it's going to fill, it's going to need, be needed again if people want to build out their grids. What's a carbon neutral cargo? So the standard now 
per barrel of oil produced. I think the industry standard is probably going to be way off of my numbers, but I, I believe it's around like 25 kilos yeah. per barrel. 25 kg per barrel. 25 kilos of carbon yeah, per barrel? Yeah, per barrel. So how do you offset that? By buying carbon credits, planting trees, that I sort think, of thing? I or? think people are seeing through it now of, you know, they want to see companies do more than just buy credits. Yeah. That, that's a quick one, right? It's a create. And so yeah. what's good is the platforms in Norway are, par- are powered with a cable that's powered by hydroelectricity. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you don't have any, any carbon from, from there, from your main feed. No, turbine, no turbines. It's powered from shore. So hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then to offset your carbon, you know, I think their barrels are around 2.2 kilos uh, of CO2. And uh, to offset that, they, you know, started, uh, bought into, into windmill and, and uh, wind power. And also they're planting 11 million trees over the next three to five years. So doing a lot to, to offset uh, your, your carbon. Okay. Structure. Well, guys, I'm getting to the end of my questions now. Is there anything else that I should have asked that I didn't ask? I feel like we covered a lot there, so um, can't really think of much else. I don't know. There's a lot going on right now, and it's an exciting time to be in the in this sector because yeah. um, you know, as you get into one of these kind of super cycles, as we've been talking about, they don't come very often. You know, once or twice in a generation. And uh, we're really well positioned. And I think the, the office here in Vancouver, you can see that. Come by and visit. I mean, we've got NGX, Jose, and Philo. And Philo's a rock star right now. I mean, it's a monster deposit. And then on the other side, you've got the gold companies, Lundin Gold and, and Bluestone. And um, we're, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to capitalizing on, on the, you know, this cycle that we're entering. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend investors who are new to this space, you know, start to dip a toe in. But never invest in natural resources before? Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you think, well, you know, this all sounds good. Maybe I need go- exposure to gold or copper or what have you. What, what would you recommend as a good place to start? Well, I think it's, I think what the group offers, you know, is, is exposure to natural resources, uh, a big focus on ESG. And then also I think you know, it's it's unique, and, and it obviously it's not the only company, but but management board ownership, you know, is is in there, and us mm-hmm. being some of the biggest shareholders, you know, we're gonna be there, you know, living with the with the share price as well. So I think we we're, we're uniquely placed, and and we try and be as transparent as we can be, and uh, always up for for discussion. Yeah, and I think. You know that's that's right. You you want to invest, and if, if if you're new to the new to the game, I mean, it's hard to be able to suss out what a good project yeah. is. But you you want to believe in the team that's behind it, and the dedication, and the success rate of, you know, the the history of success of the group. And so I think we offer those by looking at the lending the lending group, and then from there you have access to all the different types of commodities. And if someone only had enough money to invest in one Lundin company, which one should they choose? That's a hard one. Yeah, well, I, th- I think if, if it's <laughs> you your, guys can have different answers. If it's, by your, the way. if it's your first time and you're yeah. coming into natural resource space, um, you know, for me, I, I picked the poster child, which is which is Lundin Energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a very strong company. It, it pays 514 million U.S. dollars in, in dividends a year, um, and, and so you're going to have that that stable dividend. And then uh, also these guys' operational excellence, they just continued to hit it out the park. 
And so I want everyone's obviously first foray or first investment to go extremely well. Um, I think that's the one with, with uh, the lowest amount of risk. All right. Good answer. I would say the stock with the most torque at this moment is is probably Bluestone Resources. I mean, going from an underground to an open pit, we've tripled the value of the project, but our share price hasn't moved. And, uh, you know, analysts are upping their, their target price because, um, you know, once we hit those milestones, uh, permitting feasibility study, getting into the development phase, um, we're, we're trading at a steep discount to our peers. So it's, of course, higher risk, but it, it I would say it has the most torque. I don't know what you think on that. You know, obviously bet on Jack a hundred times out of a hundred and, and what he's going to do there in Guatemala is going to create a lot of value for shareholders. I think he just also, we also have to mention, mention Philo, you know, we meet, meet a bunch of people and they're always like, oh, Philo, like I was looking at that one and, and, and I missed it. You haven't missed anything. Like, I'm actually that person. Into it. I've yeah. spent a lot of time <laughs> looking at that no, but about a year ago. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we all want to replicate what, what happened there. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, through different ways, right because it's going to be impossible to find another deposit like that in any part of the world. I mean, this could be top five um, pro copper projects in the world, right? And uh, they're going to drill that out and continue to create more value, and there's still a significant upside potential. But what was really cool when that happened was listening to the shareholders and having people send direct messages to me and my brothers on Twitter talking about how their lives have changed because they believe that this was a project, um, you know, that had significant upside potential. Mm -hmm. And they went all in, you know, a lot of geologists that took the time to study. And they now have created so much wealth for their families that, you know, people have talked about retiring and that they're so grateful to have been on the story. So, you know, that right there is a key motivator. And that's what we want to do, um, you know, time and time again. All right, guys, I don't think we're going to find a better place to end it than <laughs> that. Thank you very much for taking the time today. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Me too. If you want more like it, head over to resource-insider.com, my website where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter, where you're going to get instant access to all of our new podcasts and videos. We're going to keep you up to date on what's going on in the mining industry. And most importantly, we're going to show you where we're investing our own money and what I think are the hottest deals and opportunities in the sector. Thanks for listening.